Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. Thank you for your great singing today. Well, we just finished a series of messages about the love of God, and we are now shifting back today to our study that we've been working through all this year in the book of Revelation. And some of you are thinking, why in the world are you reading the book of Revelation and studying that on Sunday mornings? That's such a weird, weird book. And it is a very, very weird, weird book. There's no question about it. But our goal, our desire is just to see God's end game. God's on the move throughout history. God's on the move here at the church. And because of that, we just kind of want to remind ourselves of things that God is doing now, but also in the future of how he's going to bring everything to a climax and truly, truly work his will and accomplish his work in all the world and, and make everything that's broken fixed again and everything that's unrighteous and evil, it will be restored to righteousness and holiness once again. And the love of God and the holiness of God and the righteousness of God will be throughout all the, throughout all the world. And that's the hope that we have. And the message of Revelation is that even though evil looks like it's triumphing and things are getting worse and worse in the world, the truth is, is that Jesus is on the move and Jesus wins. He conquers all of his enemies and righteousness prevails because of the victory of Jesus Christ. And that's what we keep coming back to and focusing on as we're reading in the book of Revelation. Now, I got to tell you that we've got a humdinger of a message from Mother's Day. Okay, because if you've looked ahead in Revelation chapter 17, uh, this is not your mother's Mother's Day message because because we're talking about the great whore of Babylon. And yes, I did say that in church today. We're talking about a prostitute. We're talking about a harlot. And she is an image that represents the seductive power of the age that is constantly seeking to entice you and I away from our true love, our true husband, Jesus Christ. And the message in Revelation, especially here in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, is the need to be faithful to Jesus no matter what. Stay true to Jesus no matter what. Even though there is this seductress, this temptress who's out there constantly seeking to solicit us to be disloyal, to betray Jesus and leave him. She is a religious power, but she is an economic power. She is involved in bed with, so to speak, pun intended, with the, with the Antichrist. And she is a picture of the, the forces of seduction that are so prevalent in our age today that are constantly tempting us, trying to lure us away from Jesus and be disloyal to him. This is a message for all of us. We need to hear this because this prostitute is in our world today. And she's seeking to entice you and entice me. You might be thinking, this is such a vulgar topic for Mother's Day. Yes, it is. But it's there in scripture and it's what we need to hear. It's what we need to say. And you might be saying, well, why on Mother's Day? I go, well, I wasn't really paying attention to the calendar when I scheduled it. I'm sorry, it's my fault. 
But I trust that God will speak to your heart and encourage you today because all of us face this temptation. All of us are constantly being solicited to betray Jesus. And the message of Revelation chapter 17 and and next week even, chapter 18 is stay true to Jesus no matter what. Stay loyal and faithful to him no matter what. So let's talk about the other woman that we see represented here in Revelation chapter 17. I'm reading on page 1037 here in the church Bibles, and I encourage you to turn there also. Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. Let's listen to God's word. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with whom the wine and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast who was full of blasphemous names, and, who, and it had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel and see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, and the other is not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings that have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into, into, into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the, to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. 
This is the Word of God. The message in Revelation chapter 17 is just simply this. Stay true to Jesus. Stay true to Jesus no matter what. And there's several reasons why we must stay true to Jesus, why we can't be led astray. We're told in Scripture to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yes, love our neighbors as ourselves, but the first and primary thing that we are called to do is to love God with everything that we've got. In Scripture, that love for God that we're called to have is compared to a marriage relationship. In fact, at the very end of Revelation, the, 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 the final imagery that kind of shows the future of God's people with their Creator, with their God, with their Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a picture of a bride and groom coming together on their wedding day. And there's a huge feast and a huge celebration. And they celebrate their love in marriage for all eternity where the people of God are with their God forever and ever. And it's, de it's described as a marriage relationship. So when you think about your relationship with God like a marriage, the fidelity of a marriage covenant, throughout Scripture you see the opposite also being talked about. That when people are unfaithful to God, when they worship other idols, when they're choosing to betray Jesus or love things and serve things and trust in things instead of Him, they call it adultery. It's spiritual adultery. That idolatry is like going, as the old King James Version says, whoring after other gods. It's playing the prostitute with other gods. Here we're seeing in Revelation chapter 17 that there's a force in this world that works in conjunction with the Antichrist. If the Antichrist is like the beast that's described, the red beast with seven heads and ten horns. By the way, Revelation's weird, isn't it? It's really weird. Can I have an amen on that? It's an amen. It is weird. Okay, Revelation is weird. It's weirder than a three-headed dog. In fact, a three-headed dog would be normal in the book of Revelation, but that's just how strange it is. And that's what we're seeing here. Seven-headed monsters, ten horns, a lady riding on the monster. She's also called a city. All this stuff is really, really, really strange. And what we need to remember is that God is using all this powerful symbolism, very vivid symbolism, to speak to our minds, yes, but also our very souls, our emotions, to grasp how necessary in this chapter, how necessary it is to remain true to Jesus. So here she is, she's riding on this seven-headed beast, red beast with uh, ten horns and all of this, and she's in control over all of it. And as she is in control, we see that she's described as an economic power, a religious power, a power of pleasure and, and immorality as well. This is the, the message about Babylon, about this prostitute that's constantly seeking to pull us away from our love and devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why we need to be loyal to Jesus and faithful to him is just simply because there is a prostitute that's constantly seeking to, to seduce us. There's a harlot that's trying to woo us away, solicit us away from our loyalty to Jesus. And she's described in this opening paragraph. Notice that she is uh, described as, as seated on many waters. I, I'm not sure how to visualize that in my mind. But at the very end of the chapter, the angel comes back to that and says, those, those waters are all the peoples and nations and languages and races of this world. This woman has 
the ability to seduce people everywhere in all cultures, in all religions, in all languages. She is constantly looking for customers, constantly looking for people to come to her and pay her and sleep with her and be disloyal to Christ and to God their creator. She's also the one who has not just individual influence, but she influences governments as well because it says the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her. They've been unfaithful to to God, their creator as well. And not only that, but she is making people drunk with her wine. And the wine that she has is full of sexual immorality as well. And I just want to say that, that when it's emphasizing this sexual immorality, it's, it's not just in a spiritual sense. I mean, we're living in a spiritual red light district. There's no question. We are living in a world that is constantly tempting us to worship other gods and other idols, to be loyal and true to them instead of being loyal and true to God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So we live in a spiritual red light district. There's no, no question. We're constantly being solicited to give in to those urges and drives and desires instead of trusting in God and being loyal to him above all. So that's the world that we're living in. But it's important to understand that part of what this prostitute is propagating and promoting is immorality, is a desire for pleasure and satisfying it at any price to get whatever you want. But notice also it says that people, when they follow her, they become drunk. They're under her influence. And so what's fascinating here is that in the earlier parts of Revelation, when you read about the beast and his kingdom, the Antichrist, he's a military power that seizes control. Here you have people willingly say, hey, I'll give you control, just give me that pleasure. Here, I'll give you control, just give me wealth. Here, I'll give you control, just give me, give me power, give me influence, others. Here, you can have it, I'll follow you. It's almost like people automatically choose to surrender to the Antichrist and worship him and follow him because of what the woman is giving them as she rides on top of that beast. You get all this pleasure, you get all this power, you get all these possessions. Well, why wouldn't I want to follow the Antichrist if I get all of that? Of course I would. And that's kind of the seduction that's constantly going on. I want to just say this. We'll come back to it. That if you think that this is all future stuff, and I'm sure glad I won't be around then, we are living in Babylon today. The world we live in is a Babylon that we live in today. Babylon is, a, is a, a city, the greatest, most powerful, most wealthiest, most pleasure-oriented city. It's New York and Los Angeles and Las Vegas and Berlin and London and Moscow and Washington and Rio de Janeiro and every other city that you could possibly imagine. The great metropolises of our world rolled into one. That's the image, that's the picture in, in Scripture constantly of Babylon. Powerful, wealthy, pleasure-oriented, but in control and exercising dominance and influence over all the people under their authority, under their sway. And we live in Babylon. America is Babylon, but so is Europe, and so is Russia and China as well. Constantly soliciting lovers to betray the true and living God. And so as we read in this chapter, we notice also how the woman is dressed because you see, it's not just about pleasure, but it says that, it says, I saw this woman seated on this beast. The beast had blasphemous names. We read earlier, it's the kingdom of the Antichrist. 
The woman was arrayed in verse 4, arrayed in purple and scarlet, clothing that only rich people could have. Vivid colors that were very expensive. So she's very wealthy. She's very powerful. She's not dirty. She's not filthy. She's, she's a, a very glamorous, popular, beautiful person. That's the image that we see. She's arrayed in gold and jewels and pearls. Again, she's not in poverty. She's wealthy and powerful. She's glamorous and prosperous. She's liked. She's loved. Everybody's enthralled with Babylon and attracted to Babylon and solicited, and they give in to Babylon because of her, her beauty and her wealth and what she offers and what she promises. She's promising power. She's promising pleasure. She's promising possessions and wealth. She's offering all of that to her lovers. I'll make you happy. I'll give you everything you need and want. Just come to me. Sleep with me. Pay me. And it'll all be yours. He goes further and says that she's carrying a cup. So just imagine a big gold goblet. And there she is. She's riding the beast. And in her other hand, as she's holding the reins, the chain that's wrapped around that beast, and she's in her saddle there, in control, having dominance over this kingdom of the Antichrist, influencing that, getting people to worship him and surrender to him. She's carrying this big gold goblet. And you would think that that's, you know, probably some very expensive, delicious wine. But look how John describes it as the angel describes it to him. It's a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of sexual immorality. Abomination is a word in Scripture that just simply means everything that God detests. Everything that God finds disgusting. And the trouble is that there are a lot of things in life that we think are good and cool, and God says, that's really disgusting. It's really wrong what you and I do with that. And God says he's disgusted with that. But the thing that he's most disgusted by, the thing that's most abominable to God, is when we betray him and we worship other idols. When we give in to other gods and goddesses and we let them control our lives and we surrender to them and we trust them for our security and happiness and we look for them to prosper us. When we rely on them and we worship them and surrender to them, that's an abomination to God. So in a very real sense, the, the harlotry that this woman is practicing is a religious prostitution, constantly seeking to pull us away from the true and living God. Now, not so much some world religion that we all start worshiping, but that we would just choose to put our trust in and worship other things and people and ideas instead of the true and living God. But notice also, he says that this cup is full of not only abominations, but it's also full of impurities of her sexual immorality. And she's just saying here that this whole idea of being faithful in marriage and being faithful to your God, Babylon's against that, flips it on its head. You betray your marriage vows. You betray your God, your love for him. You give in and satisfy yourself. You live for yourself and you do anything you can to make yourself happy in the process. And if someone gets hurt in the process, so what? You surrender to yourself. I'll give you the desires that you want. Really, John is inviting us to look into her cup, to see what's swirling around inside the cup, to smell what's in the cup, 
You know what's in the cup? It's not wine. It's urine. It's dung. It's blood. It's all the things that are vulgar and disgusting and nasty. And I know that sounds so crude for me to even say that here in the message, but that's what he's trying to say. She's holding this cup and she thinks it's delicious and everybody else that drinks it thinks it's delicious, but really the eyes of faith help you to see that it's full of corruption, it's full of death, it's full of slavery, it's full of disgust. Because it's, it's when you drink it, you get under the influence and it leads you away from God instead of surrendering to Him. It's supposed to churn our stomach. It's supposed to make us feel nauseous and swallow hard because that's what it really is. You see, you and I live life and we think that we can make sexual compromises, that pornography is okay because no one knows that you or I look at that. But the truth is, it rots our souls. It chews away at our hearts. It kills our love. It wrecks our relationships and our ability to look at others and love them and serve them and care for them because we're really just serving ourselves and we're exploiting other people in the process. We look at having an affair and think that I can get away with it. I'm on a business trip, no one knows. But the truth is, you betrayed your vows and now you're a slave to guilt and shame, no matter how hard you try to hide it. We think that I can, accompl- I can accumulate all this wealth, I can just get all these possessions, I can become rich, I can gain all these things that I own. And I fail to see that even though I'm trusting these things to make me happy, I'm trusting these things to make me secure, I'm trusting these things to give me you know, a sense of accomplishment and pride, and, and I just want to make my life easier, I'm trusting all that to do those, those gadgets and things that I have. But I don't own them, they own me. I worry about them all the time. And it's really rotting away, corroding my life and my soul about what's really important. And you know, I network and I try to win friends and influence people and I try to just get other people to like me and I use them and they use me and I just care what other people think rather than what God thinks. I fear people instead of fearing God and I do all of that and I think, well, you know, I'm gonna get that promotion and I'm gonna get other people to like me and they're gonna appreciate me and I have value and worth because I, have, I just am constantly putting other people first. But I'm doing that for me. And in the process, I'm not really loving them as my neighbor. I say I am, but in truth, I'm loving myself and I'm using them. And that's eating away inside my soul as well. That's what's inside that cup. Her abominations and impurities, all of this is swirling around inside there and it's enough to make you sick. And that's what the angel's trying to say to John. It should make you sick that you would never give in to her solicitations and that you would never choose to take what she's offering because it'll make you sick. You won't be free. It'll make you a slave. It won't give you life. It'll kill you. You won't have security. You'll be exposed and more vulnerable than you've ever been in your life. You can't give in to the solicitations of Babylon the prostitute. You can't give in to that. You've got to love Jesus with all your heart.
It says on her forehead. In the ancient world, sometimes women and men would wear a, a, a band across their head. It was like a piece of jewelry, kind of like a charm bracelet. Somebody, remember those old days? You used to have your name on a bracelet. Now, I'm not talking about at the hospital or at prison, but I'm talking about, you know, you would wear a bracelet. Maybe your name was etched on it. You would do that? Well, they would do something like that, like a tiara, a little band. It was like a piece of jewelry, and it was very stylish. And that's what this woman has. But across it, it says, her name is very mysterious. It's Babylon the Great. She's the mother of harlots, the mother of all the abominations of the earth. Now, you know, in Scripture, whenever you hear of someone like uh, James and John, the disciples of Jesus, remember their nickname Jesus gave them? They were called the sons of Thunder, yeah, that's because they were hotheads. They were angry guys. They were constantly losing their temper, always exploding like thunderstorms. They were the sons of thunder. When we say that somebody is a son of something, we're saying that that's, that's their characteristic. That's what they're like. Okay. When we say that someone is the mother of something, it's a little bit different. That's her characteristic, but she reproduces it in other people. When we say that Babylon is the mother of harlots. She's not just a harlot you know, doing all the work herself. She's constantly corrupting the people who sleep with her. They become harlots too, and they lead people astray. They adopt her values. They go her way. They follow her path. And instead of saying, no, I'm going to be loyal to Jesus even though I slept with her. No, I'm going to lead other people to be disloyal to Jesus as well. It, it corrupts us to the point of not only are we betraying Jesus, but we actively begin to encourage others to betray Jesus as well. She's Babylon, the great city that is constantly leading people astray. It's not just a city. Is this a literal Babylon? Is this the Babylon in the Middle East and Iraq? Maybe, but maybe not. Is it, a, is it Rome? Maybe. I think John would think of it as Rome in his world because of the most powerful influence it had. But it's probably bigger than that. It's probably all the cities and all the culture of the world now and at that time that is constantly working to lead people astray from God. Our world is a competitor to Jesus and we are called to love him and follow him with everything that we have. Be true to Jesus no matter what because there's a harlot that's constantly seeking to seduce you. And not only is Babylon seeking to lead people astray, but notice in verse 6 it says that she's drunk herself. But she's drunk on the blood of the saints, the people who have been faithful witnesses to Jesus, and she's persecuted them and she's killed them. She's constantly leading them people astray and killing those who follow Christ. When John sees all this, he's terribly confused. It says, I, I saw her and I marveled greatly. I was just absolutely astonished. I don't understand this. I'm confused. I thought you said that she's going to get judged and I don't understand. She's not being judged. She's so rich and happy and prosperous and everybody loves and adores her and follows her and gives in to her. How come you said she was being judged? The angel goes further. Well, to understand the judgment on this prostitute, you need to recognize the beast that she's riding. And see, this is the second reason why we need to be loyal to Jesus above all else. Because there is a beast that wants to devour you. A beast that wants to eat you up. And you need to yield to Christ rather than be eaten by the kingdom of the Antichrist that's here today and will be in the future. The beast with seven heads, I'm going to explain it to you. In verse 8, the beast that you saw was 
is not and is about to arise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Right there in that one verse, he's saying, here's the timeline, the chronology of the kingdom of the beast. We've read in other places in Revelation, the chapters before this, that this beast with the seven heads and the 10 horns, it's all scarlet colored. This is the kingdom of the Antichrist. It's the, the king of that kingdom, the dictator of that kingdom, but it's also his government and his power that's worldwide in scope. And there was a time when he existed in the past. He's not now in power in John's day when he's writing this, but he's going to come to power again. And people are going to be amazed at that. But don't forget, he's also going to go to destruction. There's going to be judgment upon him as well. And so he goes further and explains. He's going to rise up out of the bottomless pit and then go to destruction again, indicative that ultimately he's from the devil himself, the great dragon that's fought against Christ and his people. The dwellers of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life, they'll marvel when they see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. It's like a parody of the resurrection of Christ. He was alive, he was dead, he came back to life and, and we worship and we honor Christ because he conquered death. But people are gonna see, well, hey, look at this revived kingdom, whatever kingdom it is. It's come back, this ruler has come back and, and he's come back and wow! And they honor and they worship him and they are amazed at him. Now the angel says really quick in verse 9, and this is the part that's hard, he said, this calls for a mind of wisdom. You really need God's wisdom to understand this. And I want to be real quick to say, I'm not sure I do have it all. But we need this wisdom to really figure this out. Wisdom from God. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. A person reading this after John wrote it, he would automatically, she would automatically think of Rome. That's not hokey to say, that's true. Because Rome was the eternal city that was built on seven hills. And on the coinage and on statues and uh, carvings on the walls of different public buildings, there was this imagery that showed seven little hills, mountains, and the city of Rome being founded up top of that. So a person reading this and listening to it would think of Rome. And so there she is. She's seated on these, uh, this, this beast has this, these seven mountains. And they, but then he goes on and says, but there are also seven kings. And there's some Bible scholars who say, well, no, they're not thinking of Rome. They're just thinking of these different empires that have existed at different times. Historically, like, you know, Assyria and then Persia and then Babylon, you know, Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, then Rome and a future kingdom and a future kingdom after that. And, and that's possible too. You could look at it as a succession of kingdoms. Others have said, well, no, it's a succession of popes or rather not popes, rather emperors of the Roman Empire, like Julius Caesar or, or others. And you, you start counting from Caesar or Augustus and you keep counting down, you know, you get to Nero and maybe it's like a revived, resurrected Nero coming back because he was considered the worst of all the emperors, especially toward the Christians. However, however this all plays out, I'm not exactly sure how it will. I don't really want to put my foot down and say it's got to be this or it's got to be that. But he's saying that there's something about this empire that it used to exist, but it's coming back. And people are going to be amazed by that. And they're going to be enthralled of it. In fact, he says this kingdom that comes back, 
It's actually like an eighth empire this beast is. It's, it's going to come out of the seven and just like Jesus was resurrected from the dead, not on the seventh day, but technically the eighth day, the first day of the new week. It's like this parody of the resurrection. People will worship him and honor him, this antichrist and his kingdom. They'll follow him. They'll be amazed with him. He's the God we've been looking for. He's the answer to all our problems. Look at his power. Look at his might. Look what he can do. And they will worship him. In verse 12, it describes that there are ten horns on this beast. And the angel goes into a little detail. And I admit this is a bit confusing. But he says these ten horns are ten kings. And they're like confederates or allies that support the Antichrist. They're, they're like in, in ancient Rome, there was the emperor and he ruled over the empire. But then there were people like Herod the Great who ruled in Palestine. And he got permission from Augustus to be called a king. And he was a vassal king. He served the Roman Empire, even though he had the title of a king, and he ruled over a portion of the empire. And these kings are like that. They serve the Antichrist. They throw their loyalty behind him. They throw their allegiance to their resources and military might and political strength and religious strength and economic might. They throw it behind, behind the Antichrist. And they support him in all his endeavors. And it says that they have one mind and one will, and they surrender their authority to the beast, to the Antichrist and his kingdom. But it says they have this authority with the beast only for an hour, for a short period of time. You're talking about the the tail end of the the tribulation period, that seven-year period of great trouble that's coming upon earth, that final judgment that we've read about. And whether you take that as a figurative kind of picture of the final judgment or you see that in a very literal way as part on the calendar that's coming up, either way, the duration of this Antichrist kingdom and the duration of the kings that follow him, it's just for a short period of time. It'll be the greatest, most powerful kingdom that has ever ruled the earth. You look at the maps of ancient history and you see how, how far Babylon had conquered and how much territory Assyria had and how large, how, how far the Roman Empire had spread all over the Mediterranean basin, all the way to India, all the way to Great Britain. And we go, wow, we're impressed with that. We look at what Genghis Khan did and how he spread over, over vast expanses of China and Mongolia. He controlled great stretches of territory. When you compare those to what is described here in Revelation, the Antichrist is controlling all the earth. And these kings are giving their authority to him and supporting him and backing up his rule. But God is really the one in charge of all this. And he's orchestrating all this because notice what it says. They are of one mind and they hand, this is verse 13, they hand over their power and authority to the beast they will make war on the Lamb. That's another name for Jesus. In fact, that's how Jesus is described and labeled and named in Revelation. He's called the Lamb of God. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Uh, That's got to be one of the the strangest images in all the book of Revelation. You talk about something being weird. Here's all these mighty armies with all this military power, and here's this little tiny lamb. Bah! Bah! 
And all this military might is defeated by that lamb. Now, I got to say that back in chapter 5, the lamb is called a ram. And he has seven horns, so don't think of him as this little tiny cuddly Easter lamb. But he's this mighty male ram that is willing to butt heads and knock down and conquer anybody that comes against him. And he does that. In fact, it says that he, chapter 19, where this battle that's described here in verse 14 is mentioned, it unfolds, he speaks the word, and victory comes. There's hardly any battle. In fact, it's almost instantaneous, the victory. They show up on the battlefield, Jesus speaks the word, bang, they're dead. And they're defeated. And the thing that's beautiful here is that Jesus comes and defeats the enemy and he's not by himself because it says, and those with him, the saints of God, the martyrs who have been waiting for vindication, the saints of God who have held on and maintained a faithful witness even when it costs their lives, they come back with him and they are called. They've been invited to this salvation. They have been chosen. This is talking about our election and the security of the believers that we have, our relationship with Christ. And not only does he call us and elect us, but he makes us faithful. We're true to him because he's been true to us in summoning us to salvation and and trusting in him and keeping us secure in that relationship so no one can peel us out of his hand. No one can knock us out of his grip. We're secure with him. So now we can be faithful. You see, we've got to be faithful to Jesus no matter what because there's a prostitute that's trying to solicit us and seduce us. And there's a beast that wants to devour us, this, this evil world empire that we see in our day the beginnings of oppression crushing the people that are under their rule we see these this this beast that wants to consume us and devour us and a harlot that wants to seduce us we've got to remain faithful to jesus in spite of that but there's a third reason why we need to remain faithful to jesus that's because there's a lamb who wants to make us victorious there's a lamb who wants to vindicate us And that's what we see described here. He's going to defeat the armies of the beast. He's going to defeat the kings that are arrayed with him. He's the mighty warrior king who comes as the lamb of God, the mighty ram. He comes and defeats these enemies. And then it's described even further beginning in verse 15. He says the the, the waters that you saw, those, those where the prostitute was seated, they're the people in multitudes and nations and languages. She has this worldwide influence. And the ten horns you saw, and the beast, they hate the prostitute. And they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. A couple things that's important to see here and understand is that the scripture is very clear that evil will always collapse in on itself. It will always wind up destroying itself. And what God does in allowing the Antichrist to come to power and this this beast and kingdom to rise to oppress the world and these client kings, these vassal kings supporting all of that and the harlot, the prostitute, this, this economic religious entity that's influencing 
the, the, the kingdom of the Antichrist, it's all going to turn in on itself. It'll be a great civil war. And the beast and the kings will hate the harlot and they will destroy her. Now remember, some people are prostitutes because they've been forced into prostitution. We saw that in the compassion video that we watched. But there are some who choose to become prostitutes because they can get wealth. They can gain power and favors. And they choose to do that on their own. And that's the type of prostitute we see described here in Revelation chapter 17. She is actively promoting herself and promoting her wiles and constantly seducing and seeking to destroy people. She is a mother of prostitutes. She's trying to encourage the spread of evil and unfaithfulness and the betrayal of Jesus. She's pushing for that. And she's getting her just desserts here at the end of chapter 17. And so when the beast and his kings that are allied with him turn on her, it says they make her desolate. They turn her into a wasteland. She's no longer wealthy and powerful. She's all by herself and she has nothing. In fact, they strip her naked because they're about to execute her. They humiliate her in this way. They actually kill her and there's her corpse. And the birds, the vultures come and pick the flesh off her bones. She rots there in the desert. And then they burn her with fire. Because that's what enemy kingdoms did when they fought against each other. And when a city fell, they would just raise the city. They would burn it to the ground. A sign of total destruction upon those enemies. And God is using the wickedness of the kingdom of the Antichrist to destroy the harlot and judge and condemn her. And he's doing this because she is a murderer. She's a murderer of the people of God. She has led people away from God. And the murderer will be murdered. And the one who led the betrayals will wind up getting betrayed. And she will get destroyed, judged herself. All this is happening in verse 17. God was behind all this. He put this in their hearts to do this to the harlot. This wasn't something they thought up on their own. God is doing this. This is part of his plan to make sure that the words of God come to pass. In chapter 14, verse 8, when we heard about those angels flying through the sky, shouting promises of future destruction, fallen, fallen. This is 14, verse 8. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Those promises are going to come true, and we're reading about it here in 17. And then he explains, the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. She's the other woman, but she's also the other city. Instead of being faithful and true to Jesus and loyal to him in covenant marriage, a covenant relationship, she's constantly soliciting people to betray Jesus and be disloyal to him to trust in her, to rely on her for their fulfillment, for their protection, for their power, for their security, for their pleasure, instead of leaning on Christ and worshiping and trusting him. But at the end of Revelation, there's a new city. It's called Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven where God will dwell with his people in a covenant relationship that will never be broken, a holy marriage that will last for all eternity And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and will dwell with people and people will dwell with their God. That new Jerusalem. 
Babylon is contrasted. She's a great city. She's wealthy. She's powerful. She's seductive. She's influential. But she's nothing compared to the great city, the new Jerusalem that God is sending down as the dwelling place of his people. You have to choose where you want to live. Babylon or Jerusalem? New Jerusalem. Who, who are you going to be loyal to? Babylon and her harlotries? Babylon and her pursuit of pleasure, her pursuit of power, her pursuit of possessions and wealth? We be loyal to her? Sleep with her? Sell your soul to her? Or will you love Christ and be faithful to him no matter what? Why be faithful to Christ? Because he is the Lamb of God who's making you and I in Christ victorious. He's the one that owns the book of life. Trust in Christ. Your name gets written in the book of life. You become a citizen of his kingdom. You become a member of his family and your name is written on the roll of that family and of that kingdom. Is your name in the book of life? Have you trusted Christ? Christ died for you and rose from you to set you free from the snare of Babylon so that you can be loyal to Christ and follow him and find all that you need and want. Jesus is the one who truly is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the victorious ram. Be on the winning side. Put your trust in Christ. Jesus is the one who is in sovereign control of all history. When we started reading in Revelation back in chapter 4, we saw Christ is in command. He opens the scroll. He unrolls the plan of God and all the events of the end times, all the things that are happening in human history. Jesus Christ is orchestrating that. He's pulling every lever. He's pulling every string. He's making it all happen because he's in sovereign control. You can trust him. You can trust him even when you're living under the kingdom of Antichrist, even when we're constantly being solicited by the harlot, the harlot Babylon. He will sustain you and strengthen you. This is exactly what every mother needs to hear today. This is exactly what every father, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, we need to hear this because we're constantly being called away from God. And this is a call back. Be loyal to Jesus. Stay true to Jesus, no matter what. Let me pray with you. I thank you, Father in heaven, for your loving kindness. I thank you for your great mercy and your faithfulness. And I thank you, Lord, you faithfully, you faithfully did the will of your Father and went to the cross on our behalf and died for us and rose from the dead for us. And you are coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And I pray that we would surrender to you and be loyal to you above all else. Thank you for being loyal to us. I ask that we would recognize the seduction of the world around us. We would recognize the seduction of of just the, 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 the craving for lust and pleasure and the cravings for power and influence, the cravings for possessions and wealth. Lord, we think these things will make us happy. We think that these things will make, give us joy and make us secure. But it's ultimately you. Our hearts might be an idol factory 
And Babylon might constantly be tempting us with those idols. Lord, I pray that we would surrender to you and see that Jesus truly is all that we need. Help us to stay true and faithful to him no matter what. When we're tempted this week, Lord, I pray that we would see that this is a choice about being true to you. When we're tempted to to walk away, to lose our temper, to go online and look at things that we shouldn't, help us to see that this is a choice about will we be loyal to you. When we're we're tempted to, to, to give way more extra time to work than we should or to a hobby instead of our families, help us to see that this is really a temptation about will we be loyal and true to you. In all of this, Lord, will we choose Jesus above all, for he is worthy. We pray these things in his name and for his sake. Amen.